This is a hat trick podcast. Oh, lovely. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Do you remember your sex education? Was it helpful to you? Was it filled with scientific information rather than real, practical advice? I'm Diggory Waite, and this is The Real Sex Education. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest. We'll impart our own sex wisdom, ask our own sex questions, and we'll go over all the things they don't teach you in school. To bring this all together, though, we'll need an expert. A sexpert, if you will. But the only sex and relationship therapist I know is my mum. Hello, mum. Hello, Diggs. In this episode, we speak to intimacy coordinator Ito O'Brien about her role and what it entails. The intimate content is choreographed, so we bring a clear physical structure to the intimate content. I would say it is a body dance, just like a tango is a dance, so is a moment of simulated sexual content. And we speak to her about the reception her work has received from the press. Some articles are out going, you're the sex guru, and I'm going, I'm not a sex guru. In fact, that's the last thing that I am. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Real Sex Education. I'm Digri Waite and as ever I'm joined by accredited sex and relationship therapist Kate Campbell. Hello mum. Hello Diggs. Every week mum and I give sex and relationships a good going over with a guest and today we're joined by the intimacy coordinator for some of our favourite TV shows like Normal People, I May Destroy You and of course Sex Education, Ita O'Brien. We have a great chat with Ita coming up, don't we mum? We have a brilliant, brilliant, stunning conversation coming up. Uh, I mean we just went for a walk and the whole way around the walk we just gushed to each other about how much we thought she was amazing. Just we like she... that was great, wasn't it? It was so great. That wasn't it great. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It was so, so good. Mm. So that's all coming up. Talking about consent, talking about what being an intimacy coordinator is. I think there'll be mm. people who listen to this who don't know what it is, but she'll explain that, so don't worry. But before we get to that cracking interview, Mum, you were telling me that you found a, an article or a survey. What was it that you came across? What I did come across was a survey by Ashley Madison, which is the married online dating agency which has found that more people are having affairs or seeing other people or using their agency during lockdown so Ashley Madison is for people who are married this is their website it says affairs and discreet married dating the literally the first word you see on google is affairs but i'm sorry i cut you off so so they did a survey and and what what did it say more people are using it at the rate of about 17,000 a day mm. during lockdown. So they've done some research to try and work out why. And the research they've come up with is that I think amongst their members or their subscribers or whatever you want to call them, that they are complaining about lack of sexual initiation in their relationships. A lot of them are saying that they've tried to initiate sex during lockdown or at other times and their partners haven't responded and so they've gone and joined up with the agency because 
what's a bit sad is that some of them seem to be attracted to their partners and are at home with them. But because nothing's happening, instead of talking about it, they're going off somewhere else. And the, But it says that most of them say if they didn't have these extra relationships, they wouldn't still be married. Interesting. They say that this is now calling into question the Western idea of your one life partner as your best friend and confidant. They're saying this is not true. You know, people are doing anything but treating their partner that way, which I think is just fascinating. So people are staying with their husband or wife. Mm. And part of that is due to the fact that they're like, well, let's say the, the intimacy that we may have lost or is lacking because I'm getting it elsewhere. It means that that's not as big a deal and the marriage can stay together. Whereas yeah. if I stayed faithful to them and didn't get that intimacy elsewhere, the marriage would probably fall apart. Yeah. Interesting. That's what they're saying. And I think part of the reason for that is that people feel continuously rejected if they keep attempting intimacy and they don't get it whereas if they don't attempt it and they feel it's satisfied and that they're getting the strokes they need elsewhere uh, (laughs) emotional strokes i mean um and the sex obviously then um then they they, then they're not feeling bad Mm. the relationship isn't making them feel bad and they can enjoy the good bits of it interesting we've recently been much more keen in the west on fidelity you know, one one single partner monogamy. And in lots of parts of the world, affairs are expected. And in history, affairs were expected. So maybe this is an interesting experiment, which Ashley Madison say isn't necessarily working that well. In in what way? Oh, the, the experiment as in the, the monogamy experiment isn't working yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a bit rich coming from Ashley Madison, who are not helping the monogamy experiment at all. Um, it's a contentious topic, though, so please do send us your thoughts on that to our email or any questions you have for Kate to podcasts at hattrick.com or on the Twitter using the hashtag RealSexEDU. But... Mum, it's enough chat from us. It's that time, time for our interview with intimacy coordinator Ita O'Brien, in which I began by asking her what her sex education was like. Well, um, I come from a very colourful Irish Catholic background Mm. and with parents that um, absolutely made sure we had a Catholic upbringing. So I went to a convent school for my education which, of course, meant you couldn't even wear paint and shoes in case, you know, it reflected your underwear. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and my sex education, the whole sum of it was in the biology lesson at mm. the point where you learned about the anatomy of the male and the female genitalia. And my biology teacher at the time, I can see it so vividly, was seven, eight months pregnant Mm. With her back against the wall, her hands sort of behind her back, looking down at her feet or what she could <gasps> over her burgeoning belly, saying, well, of course, all of this can't happen unless it's within the bounds of matrimony. And that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So Yeah, bless her cottons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what effect did that have on, on a little eater? I mean, that teacher in that experience. So I, I was then one of those sort of 
children regarding the Catholic faith where I was thinking this is completely mad and mm-hmm. you know had a conversation once you know where with my mother about so the possibilities of sex before marriage and the response was if any of you have sex before marriage I'll disown you oh, wow. so you know that mm-hmm. was and that was just commonplace that was just the normal but my rebellious streak in me was very much well that's not how the world is and that's not what I hear from my friends so then it's a case of journeying and finding out as you go along mm. And your rebellious streak has taken you quite far, uh, I would say, Um, because now, of course, you are an intimacy coordinator. For some of the people at home, maybe, can you describe what that role is and how that came about and, and what it entails? So in a nutshell, an intimacy coordinator is a practitioner who, just like a stunt coordinator, will bring a process to creating a really good fight will bring support throughout a whole production, be it in theatre or TV and film, to creating the intimate content. So we make sure there is open communication from the get-go and across the board and right throughout, and then putting in place a process that allows for agreement and consent, and that's of touch, Mm. of simulated sexual content and of nudity, and then a clear process where the intimate content is choreographed. So we bring a clear physical structure to the intimate content. I would say it is a body dance, just mm. like a tango is a dance, just like a sword play is a dance. So is um, a moment of simulated sexual content. And as intimacy coordinators, we bring the skills of body knowledge, body rhythms, body dance through and choreographed clearly so that everything is known, the director's vision is served, the writing is served, and it means the actors know exactly what's going to happen and they can bring all of their skills as an actor to the intimate content. I was talking to someone the other day and I told them you were going to be on the podcast because I was obviously very excited. And they asked me, how do you become an intimacy coordinator? So, yeah, how, how did you? What my journey actually was, was I was um, creating my own work. I was looking at a devised piece of work on the flip side of the perpetrator and the victim. And in that place, I was looking at how do I keep my actor safe? What rehearsal processes do I need to put in place to make sure that I create a robust rehearsal so that I can get my actors to explore this dynamic in a really healthy, conscious, robust way? And one of my colleagues, who was the head of movement at Mountview, Meredith Dufton, said, please come and teach what you're developing. So the first time I actually taught then what I had been bringing together was in April 2015 and then over the years getting feedback from the students feedback from Meredith I co-worked with another movement director and teacher Vanessa Ewan and then the students started to say well this is great but what about when we're out in the profession so the first place I presented the work was at the Personal Managers Association which is a group of agents so that was June 2017 so for that I then had to codify sort of bring a narrative through Mm. so that was the first time I brought together what I was developing and then ended up writing out sort of becomes the intimacy on set guidelines and yes it talks through right from producers we're asking a producer to do what the flip is for a producer right the way through director agents the audition process casting directors agents it's right the way through to rehearsals in theatre and tv and film right the way through to performing the scene so yeah Mm. those guidelines are there they're the intimacy on set guidelines and they're on my website and absolutely they're there for everybody to read to print out to take with them I always say to my actors at an audition don't just speak about the guidelines have them printed out and hand them over in the days when we could be in person so you have the really clear structure to refer to and to work with of course and of course um 
Kate, you will know in your work when there's open mm. communication, when there is a clear structure put in place and agreement and consent fundamentally mm. that's invited. I always say, you're, you know, the statements in the past had been, oh, you're an actor. You should be able to be naked. You should be able to do any degree of intimate content. And of course, you know, we all have different journeys in our lives. We all have different relationships with our body. We all have different experiences, you know, how we've been in our intimate expression, which means we've got different relationships with our touch, with where we're happy to be touched, with where we're happy or how we're happy to be naked or what we're happy to express um, assimilated sexual content wise. And just because someone has a boundary in any one of those places does not mean that they're not a good actor and in fact the best actor for that job. And of course those clear boundaries allow the actor to create better content and serves the director, serves the writer. And this should mirror real life, of course, as well, shouldn't it? Because couples should be talking about consent. And in fact, you have done me and other sex therapists an enormous favours because since you've been around, and I can't believe it's so short a time, really, um, my clients, my couples, are often talk about you. <laughs> yes, when we when we introduce the whole idea of consent, which of course comes in pretty early, people now know what it is, know Yay. what we're talking about. And exactly what you're saying is what I'm always saying. Once the boundaries are there, then you can be free to be creative. But if you're constantly on your guard, how can you relax and make a great show or whatever it is? Absolutely. When you haven't had an opportunity to say what's okay for you, you're holding that mm. in you, that causes tensions in the body. Absolutely. Equally, so many people they're going I'm okay I want to make sure that the person that I'm working with is okay I want to know their boundaries so that then I can you know know that they're mm. taken care of and of course that can be the same in real life couples you know you want to make yeah. sure that not only to be able to express what's okay for you and to know that your partner is okay and then you can get on and really be free and open. Because apart from anything else something I've often thought of is that you don't know the backgrounds of the people who are doing the work and you don't know how triggering it's all going to be. That's right. We don't know and we don't need to know in the workplace. Mm. But that's where we do need to make a structure that allows for that agreement mm. and consent. And again, no questions need to be asked. So particularly when we're agreeing touch. And it's so interesting that, um, you know, sometimes people know. So that actually this part of my neck, don't touch that. So you go, great, mm. that's your no-go area. Thank you for that gift of that clear boundary. Mm. Then we can work freely with everywhere that is in your yes. But sometimes you're checking things out. So we had a couple of actors and one said, is it okay if I stroke your hair? And then the actor said, yes. So you always ask and then physically mm. do it. You know. So then she goes to actually stroke the hair and you can see a shiver. You can see the whole body having a body memory that actress mm. came to tears and she was scuppered she was un, you know she wasn't aware that that was going to be a trigger point for mm. her and um the other thing we put in place is a timeout is that the actors mm. have the autonomy to halt the action be it in rehearsal or in performance so she called a timeout needed to take a break and then we came back an interesting low stroking face that was all fine for her but that was her trigger moment mm. so yeah. absolutely that's what we're looking at putting in place so that again it stays professional we don't have to bring in your personal stories into the workplace, but it does allow for that agreement and consent. And also that, you know, really being clear that consent is a process, not a moment. So mm. someone might at the beginning of a day said, yes, very happy to kiss. But by the middle of the afternoon and you've kissed like 100 times by then and there's, you know, six o'clock stubble and your, your chin's getting red raw. You might say, OK, you know, I said yes to a kiss there. I think we've got it now. We can do that scene without the kiss here. So it's things like that as well to be really clear about. Brilliant isn't it I, I was curious about things like um shows like i may destroy you where 
the sex can be very violent and uh, that seems so challenging. How on earth do you cope with that? So that's right, where there's um, challenging or abusive intimate content, it's even more important that that Mm. open communication is had, but that in particular the clear choreography is really anchored that we really, you know, sort of have mm. have such a clear physical shape so that the actors feel completely secure within that. Mm. And then if needed, I will co-work with a stunt coordinator so it goes into sort of violent actions that, of course, mm. it's all simulated. The stunt coordinator is going to bring their skills to that, you know, the moment in I May Destroy You when you have from the consensual sex with the queer, gay, male-loving to the abusive sexual content. Mm. And there's a moment where there's a hand and he puts his hand on the bed and he perpetrator puts his hand over that so again you're looking at those reverse techniques where the person who is so-called holding just holds a frame and it's a person who's being held that controls the energy so it's those kind of things that we're putting in place making sure the actor is absolutely physically comfortable physically in agreement and content of everything that's happened the nudity that's required the shape of the choreography and then again it means that they can really release into the emotional journey that's required for that scene mm. That's brilliant because that that moment is so powerful. The moment mm. you describe, and who yeah. would have thought there was so much behind it? It's yeah, incredible. absolutely. Um, yeah. Th- and the other thing I do is, as an intimacy coordinator, I have a certain amount of skills, but I certainly am not a therapist. I'm not a counsellor, but I can recognise if someone looks like in the various things that might be triggering, or that you know that you need to take care. So I co-work with an artist well-being practitioner, a lady called mm. Lou Platt, is the lady that I've worked with for the last um since. 2015 and when I see challenging subject matter within a production then I invariably I will have that conversation around how this production is going to take care if somebody could be triggered and of course we're taking care of the people who are performing those scenes it can be anybody you know, it could be mm. your cameraman, it could be anybody within the crew. Mm. So that's what you need to take care of. Say, so my skills go to here. And if I feel someone needs that, someone needs that extra help, that's part of what I'm putting in place that so I can robustly feel that there's an offer of support in the areas that are outside of my skill. Wow. I mean, there's there's so much to unpack there, because one of the main things for me is when I heard about this, it made so much sense instantly. But then the question you ask yourself is, what was there before? Mm. Was there nothing? What happened before? What happened before was a void, basically. Yeah. And in that void, people were embarrassed to talk about the intimate content. Mm. And without there being a professional structure within which to have those conversations, it just got left. Mm. You know, directors would be equally as nervous about engaging with an intimate scene as the actors would be. And it was just left. And in that situation, then invariably, by the time you get to the performers, so one of two things would happen, that perhaps the director would speak openly and clearly to the actors, and then they'd either say, you two go away and work it out for yourselves, or they'd say, okay, we've talked about it, jump in front of the camera, just do it. Mm. And that's in filming, but in theatre again, you know, the amount of times that perhaps they've talked about what they're going to do, but without a clear choreography, without a clear professional process, without a clear structure, a physical structure being agreed, all kinds of things happen. The amount of time you hear people on stage, they say, oh, I'd agreed that, you know, his hand would go here and suddenly on stage it slipped and it was, you know, mm. grabbing my buttocks or they agreed a kiss and then suddenly a tongue goes into your mouth. All things that are shocking, that are unacceptable, mm. happening on stage in front of an audience so that's what would happen and that's where you would have all these stories of actors in the past going oh they're really awkward things you just have to get through them and bad practice just because there was no professional structure to give good practice 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I was doing some research into some of your work online and there's some great videos uh, on YouTube and stuff of, of you working on oh, yes. various projects. Um, and what it's, what's interesting is is there's so many people um, who've just seen Bridgerton and the sex scenes in that and have clearly just looked up how sex scenes are done online because the comments of, of the videos of your work are just populated with people going, I've just watched Bridgerton, blah, blah, blah. And some of the main comments are people saying that they thought the movements were so realistic that they thought yeah. that actors were actually, um, well, were actually having sex. And one comment what? said that they thought they're having sex, genuinely having sex, and the rest of the crew just looked away whilst they did it, yeah, yeah. pointed the camera at them and looked yeah. away. Um, so, yeah, so first of all, isn't it Bridgerton? It is so beautiful. Mm. Across, you know, the whole production's beautiful. And then, yes, the intimate content is amazing. That wasn't part of my work. No. That is a, a lovely intimacy coordinator called Lizzie Talbot. Mm. And it's so lovely. Again, you know, it's such a positive production for intimacy coordination where Lizzie says about how the production worked with her so openly and in particular really gave a lot of time in the pre-production phase to rehearse and that's also what happened with our May Destroy You. So mm. that scene that we discussed with the assault, we rehearsed that back in August of 2019 and it actually wasn't filmed until January, February of 2020. Wow. Wow. But the fact that we'd had that rehearsal, it meant those actors did. Can you imagine if you didn't have that rehearsal, you'd have an actor sort of going, it's coming up, it's coming up, how's it going to be? Mm. Whereas once you've rehearsed, mm. and that's absolutely what happened in Bridgerton, once they rehearsed, it means that the actors are going away, going, phew, okay, great, it's a body dance. You know, I've got a clear choreography that I can practice. Mm. And then it means that by the time you get to set to perform it, there's a sense of being embodied, there's a body memory. And again, all of that preparation mm. means that the actors can release, be open, be autonomous and empowered so that they can really bring their best of themselves to the performing of character and, and character's emotional storytelling. That's brilliant. And, and in terms of the movement, though, uh, and making it look so realistic to the point where people are having to look it up online just to double check that it isn't just people actually having sex in front of the camera and the crew looking away. How, how do you make that happen? So first of all, modesty garments wise, mm. whenever there is simulated sexual content, always, always will there be genitalia coverings. The actors are never, ever completely naked. Again, and that keeps it professional, but it keeps the actors protected. And then we're looking at rhythms. Literally, we're looking at counts of eight 
possibly to, you know, I always use a language and a body system that's going to resound with those particular actors. So, for example, if um, someone's a really good musician, then I'll talk in, in terms of legato and, you know, crescendo and pizzicato. Mm-hmm. And um, I might talk in terms of laban, which I'm um, as calibrated movement into flowing and um, ringing and pressing and punching. So, again, we're literally sort of looking at the detail of the quality of the movement, detail of the rhythms that are bringing in counts and then looking at what body part to body part can be pressed into each other so if you've got the camera at one side then you can make sure that sort of you're pulling a hip bone and um, perhaps pushing the front of a thigh to the back of a thigh so that that's the place that's really connected and then that movement can journey through the body Mm. so it gives the illusion of that beautiful physical connection um yeah right the way through to orgasm It's it's great and amazing. And there was something as well in in one of these videos where I think with that rhythm you talked about the in this particular case the bonobo rhythm versus <laughs> the horse rhythm, um, and uh, and I, I guess that I guess has two functions. One to get that rhythm idea, which I got it straight away. What you meant, you know, which is yeah, and also that thing of removing yourself from the acting moment because you can maybe bring yourself. You can sort of be more like okay, this is the animalistic side of things. Is that is that right? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, and it's great you've got that awareness. So, yeah, so, you know, our intimate loving is our most precious part of our innermost selves. You know, who and how we express ourselves with our loved ones is the pinnacle of our loving, the beauty of our lives. And, you know, I really believe that that is personal and private and should be kept personal and private. So we don't want to expose that in our professional Mm. world. We can draw from it, but we don't need to expose it. So then I look at another technique is to use animal rhythms in a drama training. Actors will sort of do animal studies where you study an animal and then try to inhabit it. And it gives, as you said, digging, you get it instantly, don't you? Mm. You get a bonobo, you know, we're looking at close to the ground, they're in width, Mm. um, you know, and then where the rhythm comes from and also breath and sounding. So Mm. an animal, if you explore the animal rhythms mating and then try to inhabit it, it gives you a whole package, not just a rhythm and a physicality, but a breath and a sound. Mm. So a bonobo is such a different rhythm to the energy of a horse. So, for example, a bonobo is down low and it's down in the pelvis and there's that quick rhythm there, whereas a horse is sort of has such a long thrust, it journeys through the spine. Mm. It gives an absolutely completely different quality. Um, And, yeah, so we can talk in detail using reference to those animal rhythms so that we can then be excited and precise and professional and then create a really excellent scene without ever having to sort of feel that we've touched on exposing or sharing too much of ourselves. And that's what's so incredible about it because it isn't so personal to the actors themselves and yet it feels so authentic and and real and, and human. It reminds me of something that, Mum, you were saying that you heard of, right? No, no, I was just going to say, I overheard some people talking on a radio programme or podcast or something, actually, I think it was. But they were talking about a, a sex scene where they'd said it was incredibly authentic. And they th- and the other one said the reason that it was was because the woman, the actress, had looked down as the man rolled off. She'd looked down under the covers and they said she's looking for the size of the wet patch. Yeah. And I thought, yes, wow. yes, yes, mm. yes, 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 yes. That level of detail is absolutely mm. it. Mm. Yes. And it's subliminal. You don't, you're not necessarily aware of what's happening, but but it makes you think this is real. It just serves you, doesn't it? Mm. You know, I was on a, a rehearsals with the actors and with the director of photography, again, a really important part of the storytelling because it's not just what the choreography of the intimate scene is, but what the camera is capturing. So then I, we created a beautiful shape and I said, OK, I want to be absolutely clear. When is the moment of 
penetration. And the camera person was saying, why is that important? And both actors went, no, we need to know. Mm. And of course... That's what's been so lovely in particular this year as the productions have come out, the reflection back of um, how important that detail is because my belief is that when things are anatomically really correct, we as an audience know that it's real and then we can stay engaged in the storytelling and stay engaged in the characters. And as soon as anatomically it's not right, we just go, oh, well, I don't believe that anymore. And you, for me, certainly, I disengage. So that's my intention with that. That, again, just bring bring that reality that the period um, sex scene in I May Destroy You. I, I, that's what I was just thinking of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. First of all, just reading that, going, oh, my goodness, Michaela, you know, again, yes. this amazing, beautiful female writers who are telling our stories, telling mm. the story from the female point mm. of view. When have you seen the reality of the paraphernalia of our menstrual cycle, you know, shown? Mm. So I was delighted to serve that storytelling. But it was about the detail. So they're not just the anatomical detail of the choreography, but also really clearly the, the props departments, mm. you know, creating the yeah. props. That, that scene was incredible. I had cramps <laughs> during that scene. It was so, oh, it was so amazing. Yeah. Yes. You know, our blood clots. Incredible. You know, and, and, um, yeah. and uh, you know, and yeah. the, the props department again, bringing that detail of how they created it. We would discuss how much blood, what is realistic. So it wasn't going to mm. be too much and turn people off, but really tell that storytelling. And what I love mm. that Michaela's had written that the response of the character of Biagio is his wonder and his joy and him lifting and feeling the texture and commenting. And so it's that sense of her bodily fluids being found it delightful and beautiful and exciting mm. it was a joy to be able to support that scene being created going forward is there anything that you think on a sort of wider scale i mean obviously this work i think has already taken off massively and hopefully this will be standard practice from here on out but is there anything more that you think needs to be done going forward <laughs> Well, it is just that dig, as you say, standard practice. Yeah. You know, people still, or productions and producers still think, oh, you're just there for safety. Yeah, they're like, you know, sort of like the safeguarding mm. person. You're just going to be there to, to check in with the actors, to help us create nudity waivers, and then that's it. Um, and that's missing out a whole mm. aspect of understanding of actually what it is that we bring as a practitioners with skills. Mm. Um, you know, you wouldn't dream of saying to a choreographer, you know, great, come in, talk to the actors, talk to them about how you're going to do a waltz, check out that they've got robust ankles and not likely to hurt themselves, <laughs> and then stand back and let everybody get on with how they're going to mm. try and create a tango. Mm. That's just mad. Mm. And yet that is still what is on some productions has been asked of us. Mm. So, yes, yeah, so that's what we need. We need the whole industry to get behind it. And it just becomes legislation that, mm. that it, it's not just left up to the discretion of each individual production. And that's in TV, film and in theatre. You're having an initial read of a script. You see, oh, there's a dance, you know, say Bridgerton, seeing all those beautiful dances. Great. Mm. We need to earmark that. We know we need a choreographer in for that. You know, there's fights. We know we need a stunt coordinator. There's an intimate scene. We know we need an intimacy coordinator. Later, that it's flagged up and that it's earmarked and that then the budget is put aside for it. I mean, I'm going to ask a potentially difficult question and a far-reaching question, but what do you think about your work can we apply to our own lives? Because there'll be people who are listening who necessarily might not be in theatre or film and things like that, but there might be something that they can take home as well. So is there anything that they, from your own work that they could try and 
put into their own lives and their own sexual situations. That's a sexy way of putting sex, isn't it? Sexual situations. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so and, and I am asked this, and I have to make it absolutely clear. And there's been some articles are out going in a sex guru, and I'm going, I'm not a sex guru. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's the last thing that I am. You know, sort of, yeah. I'm not a sex expert. You know, each and every one of those scenes. The important thing is that I research it. Mm. The beautiful scenes, the beautiful storytelling. Say, for example, on Gentleman Jack. Mm. You know, we've got Anne Lister's amazing diaries that were sort of being uncovered, and the, the amazing, you know, reading her language, and you know, then you know, I was did my research in order to be able to make sure that those um, queer lesbian storytellings were really honoured that community. Mm. So I'm not a sex expert, but I think, you know, as I was saying, just those tenants and feeling that the response of you, Kate, you know, just open communication and mm. consent, agreement and consent, you know, so, and it can be awkward, can't it, with, with our real life partners having those conversations about what is okay for you? How are you today? What would you like? So I suppose that's an aspect that I feel can be taken is just through that open communication and through perhaps a boundary being set, then actually that invites freedom and joy and more of a release and, you know, the idea of intimacy once those boundaries are put in place. So I think you can take that. That's such good advice. And I mean, I think the amount of time I spend saying to people about relationship issues in general is don't wing it. Yeah. Mm. Plan. Mm. And because everybody's so caught up with the idea that sex should be spontaneous and relationships should just happen. And, you know, they're not okay unless they do. And it's just not true. You, Mm. You need to plan. And you need to be clear. And also what's so lovely with that is that, um, and that was part of the shift in the industry with the planning, was, you know, saying, oh, we can't make time for rehearsal, that's going to waste time. And, of course, you're going, hold on a minute, in your schedule you've got a stunt rehearsal, stunt rehearsal. You know you know that you cannot put a stunt in front of a camera until it's rehearsed clearly, and it's just flipping your mindset, so it's the same. Mm-hmm. And just as you're saying that, Kate, of course, uh, you know, it is that thing, that, isn't it, that you think in your real life it's got to be spontaneous, it's got to happen in the moment. But, of course, planning means that you're giving your partner time and space, you're honouring them mm-hmm. with actually saying, I'm going to make time for you, I'm going to push back the boundaries boundaries of all the pressures of cooking dinner my work the kids calling on you Mm. and saying you are special to me and you matter therefore Mm. I'm gonna actually give you a special pocket of my time and plan for that and allow for Mm. that and then within that allow whatever might happen within that and of course that is such a gift isn't it the gift of ourselves the gift of time so true and like you say setting those clear boundaries that often inspires the creativity in Mm both art and in a sexual context. God, I am really putting sex, <laughs> making it sound really <laughs> sexual, but in the sexual context as well. Yeah, that, that's what inspires the creativity. That's what inspires the fun. And sometimes that's why I think people are afraid of a blank page because there's nothing, there's, creativity can't spark from nothing. You, you need to mm. set yourself boundaries and almost rules so then you can... Relax. play around them and relax exactly relax exactly. and be creative yes yeah. that's right it's a thing of actually when you bring the walls in and make them narrower actually then you can delve so deeply within mm. yes exactly um, oh i wish i could take you with me to work <laughs> <laughs> maybe you are a sex guru after all <laughs> yeah <laughs> who knew Eater, at the end of the podcast, we like to ask our guests, how was it for you and was it good for you too? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything you're taking away? First of all, I'm taking away. I have to just go, what a beautiful relationship you two have as a mother and son. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, so first of all, I have to reflect that to you. This is so joyous to have this three-way conversation and to celebrate that. Mm. And um, yeah, it was good for me. Thank you. It was so lovely just to have a chat and, Mm. um, and thank you for your interest in the work. It's been a joy to be able to 
lift the lid off it and um, and have this conversation. Yo, it's been fascinating, mm. hasn't it? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, and I, we just have to thank you because since the first lockdown where mm. Mum and I sat on her bed and watched normal people rather uncomfortably at points and you are at fault for that um, <laughs> thank you i'll take that well we, we've been fans ever since so it's, it's such an honor to have you on thank you so much it really is it's, it's my pleasure i just have to say then watch out for it's a sin if you want the next installment yes. of amazing Ooh, storytelling right. amazing intimate content it's a sin i'm so again off oh, from the first reading of that script so mm. proud to be in part of it and i was a musical theater dancer in the 80s mm. so it reflects a lot of my life um, so look out for that wow excellent hopefully see you again very soon thank you so much it's been a great time talking to you it's the mailbag send Kate your queries to podcast at hatch.com it's the mailbag send Kate your queries podcast at hatch with two T's hello there I have a query for Kate I would like to know when the real sex education mailbag starts the real sex education mailbag starts right now thank you thank you so much again to Ito O'Brien for a great interview absolutely fascinating and some of you keen eared out there will hear the moment where I was explaining something and she said yes yeah well done that filled me with so much joy (laughs) I wanted everyone to hear that and know that is that the bit we cut no absolutely not no (laughs) No, what do you mean is that the bit we cut that's the bit we I'm gonna put that top um Right, now is the time of the show where I put some of the questions that you sent into us via podcast at hatchet.com or on the Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag realsexedu to Kate, an accredited sex and relationships therapist. Mum, our first question comes from Layla, who says, I have noticed sex has been a bit uncomfortable recently and when I had a feel around inside, I noticed a huge lump protruding into my vagina, which actually seems to get in the way of me going to the loo. I looked again the other day and it didn't seem to be there. And also, going to the toilet eased for a while, but now it's getting worse again. I'm terrified this is cancer and I've been avoiding sex in case it makes it worse. Help. Oh my goodness, that sounds really worrying. Poor you. Sounds awful. Um, And you do need to see your GP. I think it's probably a bit of a prolapse. So particularly the anterior wall of the vagina the upper wall tends to sometimes sag into the vagina when the bladder's full, when there's a bit of a bladder prolapse. And when the bladder's very full, it pushes downwards. And it can be very difficult to open your bowels, actually, when that happens, because it's pressing and stops that from happening. I mean, it disappears when during sex quite often, this sort of thing, because the vagina balloons and everything moves backwards. Sometimes people have a sort of lump from the upper wall of the vagina and sometimes people actually see the womb at the mouth of the vagina because uh, it's sort of dropped down. So things do tend to go south a bit when you've had lots of babies, actually. Mm. It's not at all uncommon or when you've been pushing for a long time when you've had a baby. So prolapses are really, really, really common. So it isn't awful. It can be treated and it'll be fine but it won't go away just by hoping it will. Mm. It's very, very unlikely that this is cancer. This sounds like a prolapse, but you do see your GP, do get it looked at and do get some help quickly. Okay. Right. We have another one here from Anonymous who asks, my boyfriend and I have been together for a couple of months and it came up the other day that he hadn't had an STI test in quite some time. I've asked him to get one and he seems really, really reluctant to. It's become a bit of an issue and it feels like I don't really want to have sex with him anymore. 
that's interesting, isn't it? Because I wonder why they were having sex with this person if they weren't comfortable about their STI status. Um, mm. I guess if you've just met somebody, you might be thinking, well, I don't want to, to cross-question them and demand a certificate. But mm. on the other hand, you really want to feel more comfortable than this person clearly does. Mm. So perhaps for the future, it would be something to talk about first. I hope they've been using condoms mm. if they're having penetrative sex. But they might not be. They might be waiting a bit until the STI test. But I wonder what the problem is because STI yeah. tests are available. You can do some them from home. Some of them you They'll can do you from the, home. The yeah. yeah, it's really straightforward. So I agree with them that this shouldn't really be a problem. And I, I, I if mm. they've never done it before, they might be really nervous about it. Mm. So there is that, and then maybe they'd appreciate someone to go along or they may be frightened of discovering something some bad news because some people are yeah that's what i'm worried about here is mm. that is that that you know maybe in the back of their mind somewhere they think oh you know maybe i have got an std and that's why i don't want to take one because then it will be confirmed to me but that just seems insane but but, but i i'm not i'm not thinking i wasn't thinking along the lines that this is somebody who's trying to hide something i mm. was thinking more that they just are very 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 anxious about health stuff mm. and try not to think about it. And, you know, some people are like that. They just try mm. to put it out of their heads so that they don't have what? to think about it. And then they get really upset if they're reminded. It could well be someone who's just really, really anxious. So this needs a mm. proper conversation mm. rather than being cross, you mm. know, trying to find out why. But if this person is absolutely insisting they're not going to get tested and it's their human right not to have to or not to be asked or if they find it insulting then maybe this is something you're never going to agree because they do absolutely have the right not to be tested. But on the other hand, you also have the right to ask them to. So, mm. And you should definitely get tested <laughs> and maybe mm. think about removing yourself from the situation and potentially not having sex with them again. I mean, just because now at that point, they're putting themselves and therefore you at risk as well. I do wonder, though, whether maybe it's somebody who hasn't had sex before. Maybe. And maybe. then maybe thinks, well, it's not necessary because this is new to me. But say that. Like, wouldn't you say that? Oh, maybe they didn't want to say that because maybe they're embarrassed. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if you're, if you're with some cool person who's saying, have you had an STI test lately? You know, it's not... And you're there thinking, oh, you're the first person I've had sex with. Ah." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to let you know that because we've just been dating. It's been a couple of months. You seem really cool. You haven't noticed yet that I'm a virgin before this. And, you know, I want to keep things going. Mm. And now you've asked me this STI question. I've never done it before. I'm too scared. It will show that I'm a virgin. I don't want to do it. I mean, that, that's a possibility. It is a possibility. Yeah. I mean, maybe in this serious conversation, you could bring that up. <laughs> but then they'll be, then they'll go, you think I'm a virgin? I'm pulling up my best moves here. <laughs> it's a tough one. It is really difficult. But I think, I always think with everything, you should have an open mind and consider more than one explanation because you might convince yourself that they're being duplicitous when actually they're just scared. Yeah. So so a proper conversation, and then if you're not satisfied, cut and run. <laughs> I feel like I went down the route of they're hiding something very quickly. <laughs> and, I, and I think you know, that, that maybe says something about, something about me. But there we go. Well, they might be, you know. Well, don't say that. Now you scared them again. <laughs> <laughs> and you scared me Sorry. again. Sorry, sorry. 
All right. Well, that is what we have time for. But please do keep sending in your emails and tweets and questions to us. We we really, really appreciate them. But we, yeah, we absolutely love them. Right. Thanks again to Ito O'Brien for speaking to us. Thank you, Kate Campbell, for your sex therapy expertise. Thanks, Mum. Oh, thanks, Diggs. And thank you for listening. See you next week for some more real sex education. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Real Sex Education, which is hosted by Diggory Waite and Kate Campbell. The show is produced by Diggory Waite, and the executive producer is Andy Goddard. The Real Sex Education is a hat-trick podcast. This podcast is based on the real-life relationship between Diggory Waite and his mother, accredited sex therapist Kate Campbell. The show is therefore inspired by, but otherwise unrelated to, the TV show Sex Education. But yes, Diggory does wish his mother was played by Gillian Anderson. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 